think I was four or five. I remember waking up because I heard the gunshot and then looking out the window and seeing all the police and fire trucks and ambulances. And then that's when it finally hit me that he did that. For the next three years, every time Ron tried to kill himself, I saved, um, I saved a round and I put it in my sock drawer um, because I don't, I don't really know why, but I think I kind of needed to remind myself that I was helping and not hurting him more. So I did that to like, just let myself see, look, he could have been dead this many times over. I had just gotten back from a trip down in North Carolina, business trip, and just that night I sat in my truck and I, I always carry a gun and I put it to my head. And I thought of her and I thought of her son. Suicide is more than leaving skeletons in a closet. It's leaving a legacy of great, unspeakable pain. And my sisters had put a, uh, a sheet up, up to welcome home Eddie, it said. And uh, something happened. Someone asked me a, an awkward question. Someone said, did you, did you kill anybody while you were there? And that just uh, triggered something in me. So sometimes, um, you know, I think we kind of push him, push my brother into trying some of these things that we think, oh my gosh, this would be so good for you to open up and talk about. But what we're doing is slicing open a wound. I mean, for a long time, I couldn't blow dry my hair in the bathroom when he was in there because he would smell burnt hair. But it would trigger something in him. You know, I mean, I don't want to be associated by blow drying my hair to picking up the burnt remains of someone. Training uh, to go to war, uh, for me, uh, is nowhere near as difficult as preparing to come home and deal with the unknown. Because at the end of the day, it's all about family and faith, nothing else. Hey, that was the trailer from our latest documentary, Trauma Comes Home. I wanted to play that for you for two reasons. The first reason is it's new. It is a film that we are actively screening right now. In fact, if you'll go to the link that's down in the show notes, traumacomeshome.com, you'll not only see where you can attend a screening, but also where you can host one. We'll literally bring the film to you to set it up at a church group, a community center, a veteran service organization, and help continue that conversation of health and healing. It also fits, second reason I wanted to share it with you, with the subject of this, let's just call it a mini podcast series that we're doing, this season four, while I'm prepping season five with all these interviews that we have some... Uh, amazing veterans and the VA and others really speaking into the situation of becoming uh, disentangled from military and re-entangling into civilian life. Leading up to that, while we're prepping that, I wanted to share with you some of the content from our most recent book, Disentangled. And the film, Trauma Comes Home, it really has everything to do with this disentangled concept. When a member of the military comes to the home, they bring everything with them. 
And when they bring everything with them, it not only affects them, but now they're importing that and it affects everybody in the family. And so Disentangled is a look through scripture about who a warrior is, the cost that warriors pay for serving, and then ultimately, how do we find health and healing through the lens of scripture? Now, we have other curriculum that don't look at PTSD and moral injury through that lens of the Bible, uh, but when we began crafting this together based on some feedback we were receiving from chaplains in the military, based on feedback we were receiving from some church leaders, based on feedback we were receiving from veterans who had been through Warrior Hope curriculum, which is still available and we're doing all sorts of training events on that, based on feedback, people started asking, well, what does the scripture say on this? And so we really began tackling that in this book, Disentangled. The link down to get your copy is below. Now, in the previous episode of this podcast series, we really said that warriors are historically not just specific to the U.S. They are united by... Warriors are historically not just in the U.S. They are united by two things. Number one is a common oath. Now, they all swear allegiance in some way to serve their commanding officer, to serve the nation, to serve certain ideals. They're united by that. They're also united around a common purpose. And what I want to really share with you today is that being united around the common purpose. Now, as I did on the previous episode, at the end of this teaching segment, which is pulled from the screen share, the slide share from the Disentangled study, I'm going to roll into a video from Songs of Hope that really has a warrior and a songwriter dialoguing about their story. Now, that was shot several years ago, but it's going to apply to some of the lessons that we're going to learn in this clip from disentangled. Point number two is not just they're united by a common oath, they're also united by a common purpose. So what happens is warriors, they take that oath, and as a result of that oath, they are now tied together, lassoed together on a common mission. Um, here's probably what your experience was in, in the military. Everyone there had a different part. Uh, some of those parts were more visible. Some were less visible. All of the parts fit together just like this graphic and were essential. Uh, I'm on page 33 now. Whether you were on the front lines, whether you're part of a supply chain, whether you were unseen support. Uh, I remember in one of our groups, uh, one of the guys that was with us, uh, in the first lesson of Warrior Hope, he was uh, at that time a, a, a Marine who was running the mail. And he says, I was just kind of the mail. And he kind of diminished his role. And everybody in the group said, no, no, no. Like the mail that was coming to us from home and the communication we had to go back to, like it was essential the unseen support uh, in, in another group, we had a, a gentleman. And in, in fact, you can, you can watch this here in the online module where we have a 
kind of a commercial testimonial for the Centers of Hope Warrior Hope curriculum um, that equally would work same for this one, but it was based off of the Warrior Hope Not Disentangled. And there's uh, a gentleman there named Eric, and he says, I was an admin, but I'm the guy that got you paid. Now, now think about the unseen support there of somebody that gets you paid. What's going to happen if the bills and everything are just falling apart because uh, everybody that's on the front lines, everybody that's in the supply chain is worried about people getting groceries, the power bill, keeping the house paid back at home. They're not going to be able to stay entangled in the mission because they're going to be tangled artificially back home. So everybody that takes the oath, lassos together in that common mission, they're essential, whether it's war or peacetime, anyone who is untangled from civilian life, as Paul said, and taken the oath. There is a passage in scripture that speaks of this. All of these people are under authority when they take that oath and get into that mission. In Matthew 8, there is a Roman centurion who approaches Jesus. He recognizes Jesus and uh, wants Jesus to heal his servant who is at the point of death. And Jesus says, okay, I'll, I'll come with you and I'll do it. And, and the Roman centurion says this, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. And now notice, notice this right here, the bottom of the screen. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this soldier, go, he goes. I say to another, come, he comes. All of that fits with what Paul was saying. No soldier in active service entangles themselves in the affairs of everyday life. What do those soldiers do? When this Roman centurion says, hey, you go do this thing, they don't even ask a question. They just do it. Why? Because they, number one, took an oath, and number two, they're tied together on a common mission. And so if it's running into harm's way, they do it. If it's doing a menial task, they do it. No matter what capacity it is that they serve in, they are all serving under authority of a leader, in that case the centurion, who is serving under the authority of Rome, and it just delegates all the way down because everybody's taken an oath that flows all the way up, and the mission then flows down, and everybody executes that mission. You know exactly what that's like. And so maybe you have better insight now when Paul says no soldier in active service entangles themselves in the affairs of everyday life. Second Timothy 2, 4. So the question, maybe just right here, because Paul understood, uh, let's just use the noun is a verb, soldiering, at some point in his life, he noticed that soldiers were focused on the mission of the one in authority over them. And he realized that this was a great image to define what the Christian life was like, whether Paul was in prison or whether he's simply living under Roman rule and going from house to house and teaching in the synagogues and applying his trade and going on trips Paul was not in a combat environment, nor, now catch this, the soldiers that he was around, yet he still identified them as soldiers. 
In his context, Paul understood that active service doesn't always mean combat. Sometimes it does, sometimes it does not. A soldier is not defined by battle, uh, for sure. Uh, soldiering can leave scars and wounds, but being a warrior means being united by an oath as well as a common mission. Paul spent a great deal of time with the soldiers who were not not in a combat environment. And the key is these soldiers had disentangled from civilian service and were entangled into the oath and to the mission, ready to be deployed to do whatever it was at a moment's notice to please the one who enlisted them is what the rest of that verse says. This question is in the bottom of page 34 in your manual. What does it mean for a warrior to become entangled in everyday affairs? Uh, you, you probably have some thoughts on that. And what would the result of that be for the mission if a warrior was entangled in everyday affairs? Well, all this brings up a question is, why would someone become a warrior? Now, there are multiple reasons we listed on the screen there. Number, number one is the draft. Number two is the love of country. Number three is response to a specific event, uh, such as 9-11. After 9-11, uh, enlistments surged. In fact, in several of our films, Invisible Scars, Honoring the Code, you'll see testimonies and interviews of uh, soldiers, of Marines, who enlisted based on uh, what they felt was kind of a patriotic call because of a, a certain event. Uh, some people enlist, number four, because of a career choice. Uh, some are talked into it, or they get together with a group of buddies and go, hey, I, yeah, this might be a good choice for us, or the family might put pressure, good or bad. Since, you know, Vietnam, we've really not done the draft. So for the most part, especially younger warriors, veterans, it's going to be two, three, four, or five. Regardless of the reasons why, again, you go back to the oath, you go back to the mission. Regardless of the reasons why you became a warrior, united by a common oath, united by a common purpose, disentangle from everyday affairs. So question again on page 38 and 39 now, what was your mission? What was your part that you played in, in the greater picture of things? And I bet if I was sitting across the table from you, kind of like I am de facto right now, uh, even through some distance here and through the internet and through disconnection of time and space, I bet you could tell me what your mission was. You could tell me exactly what you did, exactly the part you played, and you could tell me why it was important, how it fit into 
the bigger picture of everything that was happening there. The disconnect and where this whole thing is going, just so you know, is what, what we want you to do is to realize that you can still live out and have that same type of purpose, that same mission, even now. To wake up every day and know that you're participating in something bigger, to wake up every day and know that you're part of a purpose that matters, know that you're here to, to make a, a difference, to, to know that you have a, a, a duty that's even, as the oath of a Phoebe said, uh, sacred. You saw that word continue coming up over and over. In fact, uh, the Roman soldier's oath was called a sacramentum from which the word sacrament, a religious term that we use repeatedly, is, is derived. It was an oath of, here's the quote that we pulled out of uh, the Encyclopedia of 7,700 Illustrations, kind of a manual. It meant absolute devotion and obedience to the general. Again, Paul's analogy was that this is the perfect metaphor for the Christian life. No soldier in active service entangles themselves in the affairs of everyday life. Why? Because there is a higher calling. There is something, everyday life's not bad. There's just something bigger that you're serving in that moment. Each warrior disentangles from civilian life and entangles with a new identity. They entangle with you entangled in a mission, it, whether it was war or peacetime. You entangled in something with mission-specific training. You entangled with mission success as your goal. And there was this willingness and this expectation, if you look at the bottom here, of, of a cost involved. Like This wasn't just free. To entangle, you gave up uh, other opportunities. There were other chapters in life you could have pursued, you pursued this instead. There, there were costs involved that we'll talk about in the next section of the book here in lesson two. Costs involved of getting tied up in, in this, of, of entangling yourself. It, it was not free. So, you know, may, maybe just a question here. You can jot this in the notes space you've got in the book there. You know, think about what you expected when you joined and how did that compare to your experience? And not just negative. So, some of this is 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 just neutral. I, I asked this question one time uh, when we were teaching through this material for the for the first time uh, to a group of about five to six leaders. And we just asked the question, hey, wh what what did you expect going into the military? And then what, what surprised you just based on this question on this slide? And several of the guys said, you know, I, I was really confused about how much absolute downtime I had. Like basic training seemed so intense. And then, you know, I was deployed and it was, it was seasons of all on for days at a time where you thought, man, I'm never going to get to eat or sleep. And then there were long, long segments of absolute sheer boredom. Uh, others said, 
you know, some of the things were so much harder than I expected, but then I realized I could do it. I could push through. Some of them said, I did not expect the level of relationship and camaraderie that cut across race, gender, age, area of the country, background. It, it didn't matter. You know, think through that. And here's where Paul comes. Again, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.3, 2 Timothy 2.4, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. It all fits together. Now, as we, as we close this chapter, I, I do want to share with you um, just maybe what we've said so far is what makes someone a warrior is is not not wearing the uniform, even though warriors wear uniforms. It's not living on a base, even though warriors live on bases. It's not basic training, even though warriors all go through some form of basic training. It's not being on mission, even though all warriors have a mission and are united by that mission. When it comes down to it, what makes you a warrior is taking an oath. And then all of these others start flowing from that. You take the oath and then all of a sudden you're on mission. Your own mission, uh, you got to go to basic training so you know how to do that mission. You're, you're going to live on a base because we're all in this thing together. Up yet, we're going to wear a uniform because we're all part of a team together. It makes you a warrior, though, when you take the oath. Now, notice this about becoming a Christian, which is the metaphor Paul's using here. What makes someone a Christian? Is it baptism or rituals? No. Uh, is it attending church? No. Is it Bible training? You know a lot of scripture. No, that doesn't make you a Christian. Is it good works, good deeds? No. Now, it all begins when you take the oath. When, when you take the oath, that is when you become the Christian, when you sign up with allegiance to Christ, that is what makes you the Christian. Uh, of course, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're going to do some good works because of that. Uh, you'll learn the Bible. You'll dive into the scripture. You'll get together with a group of other brothers and sisters in Christ in a faith community. You'll likely do some church rituals and baptism and some routines, but those all flow from the core oath. And then you unite on mission. You see, it's not wearing uniform, not living on base, not basic training, not being on mission. It's taking an oath. It's not baptism, not rituals, not going to church, not Bible training, not good works. It's taking the oath. Here's what we would summarize and say. Uh, in military, your oath resulted in a far superior version of you than you result imagine possible. You became more of who you already were designed to be. That capacity was already inside of you. It just, you took that oath, it unlocked it, awakened it, gave you the opportunity, the venue to express it, and then led you 
to some things that you probably didn't imagine possible. In the same way, taking that oath as a follower of Christ, it will do the absolute same thing. It will, again, taking the oath, lead you to a far superior version than right now you imagine possible if you've not yet done that. Here's the step to do that. And I conclude with this. You say, well, how how do I have not taken the oath? Do I go sign up or enlist somewhere or raise my hand and swear on the Bible or salute a flag? Or do I here here's what you simply do? ACT, this is on page 46 of your manual, is you acknowledge your sin. I've fallen short, all of us have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, is what the scripture says. And then you see, you you call upon the Lord. You you confess your belief in Him, and you receive His forgiveness. And then T, you tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. Um, so you A A C T. You you acknowledge the need. You call upon Jesus. The exact words aren't important. It's that heart position, and it's the affirming that what he says about sin is true, that, hey, we all have it, and he's taking care of it. That there's no sin that's so great that he can't not take care of it. There's no sin that's so small that it doesn't require and need him to heal it and remove it. So we confess it, we call upon him, and then we talk about it. We tell somebody about that next step. If you've got a faith community, you can do that. If you don't, and you have a leader that's walking you through this material, you can talk to them. They'll help you with next steps. Uh, if you're stuck and you're still thinking, oh, I'm not sure what to do, you, you can reach out to us. You've got our contact information. If you are online watching this right now, and we would love to help you talk through those next steps. All right, so here's where we're going to go. In chapter two, we're going to talk about the cost of serving. So just the outline for our manual right here is section number one is about warriors. So we're going to define, as we've just done in lesson number one, who a warrior is. They are united despite the branch they serve, despite even the time period in which they serve. They are united by an oath and a common mission. Everything is derived from the oath and those warriors they are more concerned about pleasing the one who enlisted them than they are entangling themselves with everyday affairs. So that's going to be true when we are in Christ also. In section two or chapter two, lesson two, we're going to talk about the cost of serving. What is the price warriors pay? And, and then in part two of the manual, we'll talk about hope. We're going to look at two of the main costs that warriors pay, which is uh, lesson three, PTSD. Lesson four, moral injury. And we're going to take those on and then we're going to look at them from the standpoint of hope um, and healing as we walk through scripture related to those. And then we'll come back. Part three of this book, we'll look at faith. And as we look at faith, we're going to, again, land on lesson five, hope and healing. Lesson six, moving on to the next mission. Okay. Comments, questions, reach out to us. I'll see you in lesson two, The Cost of Serving. It hurt more coming home and how the uh, the world that we came home to, because we always talked about coming back to the world, 
the world we came home to wasn't like it used to be when we left. No matter what year you left, it was different when you got back. And people didn't appreciate. And the way that uh, public, the uh, soldiers were treated, treated, a lot of that caused PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it spit on, uh, stuff thrown at you, them hollering at you if you get off the plane and walk through the airport. They I remember the day I got home from Vietnam. Out of town, folks, they treated me like I've been somewhere bad or something wrong. Coming home was not like it used to be. The military would tell me to take my uniform off once I bought a ticket and put on civilian clothes because the civilians didn't like us. And we were the only, we were the first Leave It to Beaver generation. Everybody for us, they weren't as they didn't know what was going on in the world as much as we did as far as perspectives to go. Well there was there was more uh, technology right. Right. and T V The news was different. All first war that uh, the news ever covered. That uh, put in for a job and they turned it down. Sometimes he lets it sneak back in on me <laughs> to remind me of what he called me to do. Because but it's, that's uh, if you've never had that experience, uh, it's a tormenting. Experience. Say what you said about the uh, said when were you in Vietnam? So well, people ask when you were in Vietnam, and many times the guys will say last night. That that we can put that. In. Right now it's working title coming home. Coming home? Coming oh. home. Coming home. 